Welcome to Altus Insights podcast series with Ray and Marlin, hosted by me, Avi. This podcast will cover monthly market updates and construction cost impacts across major markets in Canada. Thank you for joining us for part two of our 2022 CRE Market in Review mini-series. In part two, we'll review the industrial and multi-residential market with the invaluable contribution of our two guests, Wendy Waters, Vice President of Research Services and Strategy at GWL Realty, and Phil Stone, Principal and Head of Canadian Research at Bentall Greeno. Um, let's switch over to industrial. So every conference that uh, that we attend now, we keep ta- talking about headwinds or industrial, even though very low vacancy rates, 10, 20% increase in rents. What type of headwinds do you guys anticipate or if any on the industrial side? This time, Phil, why don't you take a, a start at this one? Sure. Uh, look, it's hard to find, it's hard to find any, but I mean, I, I think the big one would just be the, the cyclical headwinds. I mean, industrial is now more consumer driven than it ever has been before. And so, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine that the pace of leasing activity that we've seen over the last few years, you know, is going to continue into this, you know, what is most certainly a slower economic growth environment. Right. Um, Now over the long term, I would say like, you know, most, most of the leasing decisions are uh, less probably cyclical, cyclically driven than say when you've got this, you know, massive backdrop of population growth that we've seen in Canada. Um, but it's certainly going to impact when decisions are made. And so I think like heading into this year, I think we're going to see leasing activity slow. Uh, um, but to the, what extent, you know, I don't know. I think you look at the fundamental uh, picture and it, it really is just a, uh, a tremendous environment here where it's, you, we just can't build enough industrial space right now. So I was looking at uh, the other day, um data from uh, new construction, uh, under construction in the US. And if you look at Dallas, for example, 55 million square feet under construction. Uh, in all of Canada, there's 42 million square feet under construction, right? So um, that's, you know, pretty incredible. I mean, even if you look at the size of uh, all of Texas, for example, you're at 30 million compared to Canada's 39. But, and, and that is a percentage, you know, that Dallas market is still, I think, only, you know, five or six percent um, of stock under construction, but Canada were you know about just you know a little over two percent, right? And vacancy is under one percent, <laughs> and so and most of that most of that supply that is under construction right now is pre-leased, and so you know I think to get back to a balanced market, we would need to see some pretty significant uh, negative absorption happen, and I just don't see it. Uh, you know, in, in anytime soon. Um, and so I expect, you know, rent growth to continue, certainly not at the pace that it has been. Um, and, you know, returns uh, have been absolutely fantastic. It's been the best performing asset class uh, of any in, in history. Um, again, looking at private real estate returns in, in Canada, but uh, you know, it'll, it'll slow. It'll, it has to normalize from these, uh, from these heights for sure. Yeah, I think what I might add is where where we see, you know, headwinds, it's not as much on the investment side. It's really what is going to impact the tenants. 
So, you know, the, a recession may impact some of the, the, small, the tenants, especially Small Bay. But our, you know, our experience with Small Bay during downturns is that we've always really liked it for the fact that if one tenant can't make it because of economic conditions, there are other people starting businesses. There are other businesses out there that need to expand or maybe contract, but go into a smaller space. So we've never had, had problems in downturns keeping the Small Bay, bay leased. So we're, we're liking that. Uh, the cost of fuel uh, is one that's coming up for some of our logistics tenants that may impact them as much or more than some of the interest rates and, and inflation. Uh, so that's also something keeping an eye on is location dynamics. So we may start seeing, you know, maybe a, a bit of change in terms of location of industrial. So closer to the where you know, probably the consumer base, most logistics is trying to get to whether they're trying to get to stores or they're trying to get to end users, uh, the proximity there and for labor to get to their facilities. Uh, so that's one thing we're watching for. Uh, but to, to Phil's point, there's there's so such a limited supply in Canada, uh, especially MTV markets. The you know supply is low, the demand is strong, uh, and that's a difference uh, you know with Texas where they see, you know they can just keep expanding. There's a lot fewer restrictions to just expanding on and on. I used to live in Texas. It sometimes does feel like you can just drive forever and there's very similar looking landscape, uh, which is not the case in, in the Canadian markets. So I think we're, we're you know, have, with those kind of constraints, there's always going to be less supply being built. Uh, and, you know, we're, you know, but we, you know, obviously we still, we like that asset class. Uh, we agree with Phil that the rent growth that we've had more recently, it's not going to keep growing at that pace. Uh, highly, it's unlikely to keep growing at that pace, but there's, because uh, there was a lot of catch up to do compared to other North American markets, which is, which is largely done, but it's still a, a really fantastic asset class uh, going yeah, forward. And I, think we, I think we've still got more room to run on the e-commerce mm-hmm. side. Um, you know, penetration is, you know, call it probably mid-teens. Again, it depends on what data set you're looking at. Um, but if you look at it in comparison to uh, the U.S. and some European, Western European markets and that, we're still lagging a bit behind there. So we've still got some room before we see more maturation. That Interestingly, just looking at StatsCan data on e-commerce too, we've seen, uh, you know, after a bit of a pullback from the the sort of the heights of the pandemic in terms of what was being bought online, we've now started to see that accelerate a little bit as well. So, you know, we'll see. I think there's still some retooling of supply chains that that need to happen to for many, many retailers uh, to accommodate that growth in that in that in that area. Yeah, I was going to say, to add to that, I think just that switch in global supply chains to, you know, instead of just in time to just in case and, you know, onshoring or putting in within Canada, within North America, more of the supply chain. So that's creating demand for more product, bringing product in earlier than they might have otherwise brought it in. Um, that's creating, you know, certainly it's, it's intriguing. There's new opportunity, you know, more opportunity in Calgary and Edmonton to be some of that, um, we'll call it back, back of house uh, storage for some, for Toronto and Vancouver, uh, where there's a little bit more uh, supply available, a little bit more opportunity to add quickly some industrial supply. So I think that's, uh, to me, that's somewhat of an intriguing sh- shift in Canada, uh, whether it's for e-commerce and it's an initial point or it's more for, uh, you know, durable goods fulfillment, you know, so your appliances and so forth. I think that's one area, like, again, if not necessarily a headwind, but maybe just not as much of a tailwind as maybe is being made out in the media is, is onshoring and reshoring. Like I'd loved, I haven't seen any good data on that to see that that's actually transpiring to the extent it, it maybe hits the headlines, at least in Canada. Anyways, I could certainly see, um, you know, a significant impact in the Southern U S and into Mexico, but, um, 
you know, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how much of that is transpiring in, in Canada, uh, outside of say pharmaceutical and other, um, products that are sort of essential uh, and, and or have been deemed now essential since, since the pandemic. So that would be maybe, you know, less of a tailwind than I think many are, are maybe suggesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I think it's, yeah, the manufacturing to come to Canada doesn't make as much sense as getting goods here earlier, not, you know, mm-hmm. days before they're needed, but potentially weeks and months before they're needed. And that takes more, more supply. But to your point, what products are going to get here, be stored here uh, on a longer time frame, and, and how much space? But I, I think there's still a tailwind there. Uh, but I do agree. It's to what extent? How big is it? Uh, mm-hmm. Mex- Mexico's tailwind is probably far larger. If you do industrial in northern Mexico, there's probably a, a much bigger tailwind there. Yeah, I think the, the other indicator that we haven't seen here yet, but we've seen in um, New Jersey, is um, how how parking lots are, are being used up in some of the industrial areas to store trailers. Right, we haven't seen that extent yet. That there's not a market um, for um, to rent out sort of vacant land and use as storage. Uh, the other thing, Phil, your comment earlier regards to U.S. industrial, I think they allow for a little bit, well, speculative construction compared to Canada, whereby it's next to nil, whereby most of that space is leased up before actual completion, right? So when you look at the industrial market, so the, the, the I think the, the turn is toward technology, super flat floors and higher ceilings and fully automation. You have these dark industrial buildings whereby you just have uh, products, um, you basically have nobody in the warehouse that's our our pickers and they do a lot quicker compared to workers. So there's that shift probably because of the the labor shortage to be more efficient in uh, that respect. So what we saw in the US, especially in the spring of this year with, with Amazon's announcement, that, that um, they were either not renewing or selling some of their assets were, were reflective of the older product and trying to be more efficient with some of the newer buildings. Are you seeing some of that? Like, how do you think that this being handled with a large uh, logistic demand such as Walmart and um, Amazon? Do you, are we seeing continued push for the, the bigger box than what we're seeing now in, in industrial? Yeah, I think that's certainly the trend. I think that we've we've been seeing that sort of transpire over you know uh, a number of recent years. Um, you know, I wonder how much more efficiency can be churned within within the box right now. I think that's you know that that could be you know a headwind at least for a pause in absorption from from some of those large users. Um, and I'm thinking more so Amazon specifically. Um, but uh, yeah, no, like it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what, what they can extract out of their existing facilities as there is greater demand for, for, for product. Um, again, we've got uh, tremendous population growth, G7 leading population growth, which is expected to continue with increased uh, federal immigration targets, uh, both on the permanent residents and non-permanent residents. Uh, you know, we're expecting a little over one point. Five uh, million newcomers to Canada in the next three years. So uh, you know you can only 
get so much efficiency out of that existing space before you have to kind of continue to expand again. Um, so yeah, hard, hard to, hard to tell right now. Um, but I think, you know, longer term there, there's still, uh, quite a bit of runway there. Yeah. I think also what may, you know, what's driving some of this is thinking about labor shortages, even, you know, we are bringing in all these people, but there's more people retiring than we're bringing in. Mm. So we're still in this net deficit. So, and I think, you know, the logistics companies, e-commerce companies are, are struggling to fill some of those jobs. So obviously the automation and warehouses is key to be, you know, not needing as many pickers. And then, you know, but also uh, truckers, people just to drive trucks and delivery has it, been a challenge for them. So anything they can do to try to automate the process, uh, I think it's going to be a, a driver of some of the decision, some of the decision making, as well as, you know, as I said, maybe closer to where the customers are. So you don't need to have as many vehicle miles traveled and labor hours uh, used to, uh, to, to deliver goods. Well, that's where the, that's where it kind of becomes interesting in looking at, you know, medium longer term is, and, and that onshoring reshoring uh, element of it is if, if you take out the labor component, um, where that's really the reason why you're not able to compete in Canada versus Southern U S or Mexico. But if it's all, if more of it, more of it is automated and you can work 24 uh, seven around the clock, I think it, it, it kind of brings Canadian markets into more, uh, uh, more into competition than they otherwise would from just from that labor perspective. So that's another interesting kind of dynamic around it. Yeah. We need to turn to multi res and, we have to touch upon this because this is Wendy's special. Uh, she's a specialist in this area. Wendy, what's your take on the multi-res? Are we going to still see continued higher um, rental rate push and continue uh, supply issues in this area? Well, we just got a huge supply demand imbalance uh, in the major cities in Canada. You know, as we just mentioned, we're adding, you know, between permanent and non-permanent residents, it's going to work out to about yeah just over one and a half million over the next three years of people. Um, they need a place to live. They're you know we've got they're coming to Canada. About sixty percent of the new permanent residents are economic immigrants, so they're coming for jobs, increasingly quite well-paying jobs. You know, to, like say we all know that the tech companies bring in people to Canada because they can't uh, hire into the U.S. It's easier to bring people into Canada. But there's a whole wide range of skills that, that people have. And one of the things that our research has shown is that their incomes are up. We only have data to 2019, but incomes of new permanent residents one year after their arrival was up 62% in a decade. Uh, a median income in 2019 of about 47000 You know, you could gross that up to today, and it's probably slightly over 50000 but if you put people into a couple, put them into two, and this is for 25 to 34 year olds, uh, you can afford new product rent. So we've got more people coming. They do have some housing pricing or you know uh, spending power uh, that we're definitely seeing in, in new purpose-built rental. We're seeing uh, this group in. Uh, so we're we're definitely on a lot of tailwinds for the sector. Uh, the challenge is, of course, we just don't have enough housing. So it's it's going to be a, a very large challenge uh, for our economy. Uh, we need more rental. We need more ownership. We need more housing of of all types. Well, yeah, I think it's interesting right now. I think you know it's multifamily rents have been on a tremendous run uh, coming out of the pandemic. Uh, you know, as the labor markets improved, you've had a you know return to downtown. Um, you know, I wonder too, like in certain select sub markets, I think we may be kind of coming up upon um, a limit on affordability. But as Wendy mentioned, you 
you know, you've got uh, some pretty tr- tremendous wage growth actually in certain segments of the market. Um, those the young professionals that have uh, the skills and, and the academic credentials that are in high demand, um, you know, particularly in tech, even, you know, despite some of those headwinds, um, it's actually an opportunity, I think, for a lot of other industries um, to to compete for some of that talent now. Um, but uh, so, I, you know, I think I think that wage growth story is, is helping uh, for sure. Um, but I think it'll be interesting to see once uh, we do have a bit of correction going on in the housing market right now. Uh, again, with the cost of of uh, mortgages uh, skyrocketing um, over the past year and a half or so, I think the you know the average uh, mortgage payment for a, a downtown uh, Toronto condo has increased about sixty percent uh, in the last year and a half or so. Um, so right now, affordability is still very constrained, but but pricing uh, of of homes is is coming off, and so. You know, well, we had this wide gap between rents and uh, carrying costs for home ownership, and and now I think you'll start that to see that um, uh, converge closer to sort of long term averages. Um, but I think over the longer term, look, we've got a bit of a uh, we've got some supply coming on the market in the next uh, call it uh, twelve to twenty four months. But beyond that, it, it it tapers off pretty quickly, and and we're not seeing the same level of new starts uh, that we've been used to over the past few years. And so, once you get out beyond, uh, call it two to three years, um, that long term supply deficit that Wendy mentioned, I think, just continues to get worse, absent some, you know, significant uh, some some significant boost elsewhere. Yeah, well, I mean, we I was going to say like you know, even though we've had you know. Toronto, for example, has finally had some, uh, you know, record level of starts in the in the theory over the last 10, 15, 20 years on, on purpose-built rental. But it worked out to, if you actually net out the completion, the, the total net new supply using the CMHC data, because some obviously gets torn down in order to build new. In uh, the last, in say 2019, so before the pandemic, we had 1,500 net new units and 50,000 new people 25 to 34 years old in Toronto. So this is people aging in place into that age category and newcomers coming in. So that's you know a really bad ratio. 15, you know, 1,500 people, 15, you know, 1,500 units, 50,000 people, and. So we've you know probably got a few years of again similar you know we at least had fewer net new people for a couple of years because of borders being closed and a bit of a flow uh, you know an, an interprovincial flow, but we still had more net new people than net new housing uh, and net new rental housing in in the GTA. Uh, Vancouver not quite as bad at 1,500 new units, one third the size, uh, but only 20,000 new 25 to 34 year olds uh, in that same year, uh, which was the strongest year we've had in a while. So, you know, we've, we've been getting more steadily. And now, to Phil's point, though, we've got a challenge because there's fewer starts happening, especially on rental, the cost of construction financing, uh, the cost of just, you know, buying land, getting land into production, construction costs have been rising. So that was making it hard for a pro forma to work. Uh, hope, you know, obviously we're hopeful during the next little while as projects finish, there'll be some construction trades available and that might uh, at least take the pressure off the upward, the upward pricing on, on labor. But uh, there's some challenges to get housing built in the next few years and uh, which, which worry me because we've got such a deficit to start with and uh, it's going to be looking a lot worse uh, a few yeah. years out if we don't change that. 
No, I was just going to add, I think it's important too to differentiate too between, again, Toronto, which is heavily dependent on the shadow supply, the condo market versus purpose-built rental. And I think the supply deficit is even more pronounced in purpose-built rental. And I think the pandemic has only really kind of shone a light on um, both security of tenure and professional management that multifamily uh, can offer versus the condo market. So I think there's, there's even more of a of a challenge there in, in bringing that new supply to market. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think renters are becoming more cognizant of the benefits of purpose-built rental because of some of the challenges in terms of how individual condo op owners treat their tenants or some of the challenges if they sell the unit and then now you're out of a home. And willing okay. to pay a premium for it. Okay, so we're, we're, we're near the end of this. So final question with next year, give me one opportunity and one concern that you guys have very brief because we're near the, 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 the end of this for 2023. Wendy, you want to start? Both, they're both housing. The opportunity is obviously to find, find whether it's to start some distressed pricing on a condo site to turn it to purpose-built rental, uh, but to find sites for housing. Uh, and the concern is the lack of housing options bringing in our workforce. And these include people who work in our office building. So recovery of the office sector, uh, you know, building demand to fill up the space that we've built requires new uh, people to come. And that requires housing. So the opportunity and the concern is housing. Okay. Well, well I, think the, I think the one risk, um, and I'll, I, this may be too macro, but... Uh... I think the wild card is really around uh, it's geopolitical, but it translates into energy pricing. And I think that could be the wild card that keeps inflation a little stickier than I think where we expect it to be. Uh, so where we could see inflation stick around, call it, you know, four to 5%. Uh, the opportunity. Um, I do think there's going to be some opportunities uh, a little further up the risk spectrum and value add capital. Uh, to put some of that to work in the new year uh, as we see a bit more repricing. And I think we could see some more motivated sellers uh, than we have to date. Um, don't expect any distress per se, but I think uh, there could be some opportunities to provide some liquidity as, as sellers maybe realize uh, the value of their assets has declined. Okay, well, great. Well, thank you very much, Wendy and Phil, for your comments and your insights into our Altus Insight uh, podcast. And again, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having me. Us.